I feel like in most kingdom structures, it'd be like the woman would have no power. It's just like, glad you're not dead, but goodbye. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Beyond the Manuscript. As always, I am your host, Cooper Anderson. And in case you didn't know, Beyond the Manuscript is currently available everywhere where you find podcasts. And if you like what I do here, hit that like, subscribe, follow, all of the buttons. It absolutely helps out the channel and lets me keep doing what I love, which is talk to you lovely people about books. My guest today is an author, editor, cosplayer, and self-proclaimed selfie queen. She strives to write, edit, spotlight, and indulge in inclusive stories. She personally believes that book publishing should be about community, not competition. You can find her books, advice, and editing services on her website, which in travesty.com please help me in welcoming my guest today whitney mcgruder yeah i'm doing great hi how's it going <laughs> it is going well thank you so much for uh joining me on the show today that's awesome um yeah so the best way to start these kind of episodes is um you know please tell me all about uh your latest book the throw away queen yeah awesome so my recent novel, The Throwaway Queen, is a new adult fantasy novel. New adult just basically means it's attracting an audience between teenagers and adults, so it's great for readers in their 20s. And my book basically covers a character. She's a queen. She's a mother. She's a warrior. She's, you know, the, the it gal of my book. And she survives an assassination attempt. And she thinks, you know, after recovering both physically and mentally from it, she thinks that she'll be able to return to her kingdom, to her family, basically be this grand hero. But she learns that uh, her husband thought that she, her husband, the king, thought that she passed away and essentially remarried someone else. And so she's been essentially replaced. Uh, and so the book covers just what do you do when no one's really the bad guy, no one's really evil or wrong, but you have a huge problem. And uh, so my character decides whether she's going to fight for her spot, essentially, uh, you know, be, be the queen again, or if she's going to use this as an opportunity to go in a completely different direction. So uh, yeah, lots of lots of mental health packed in there. But uh, that's just uh I, I was really inspired by watching, uh, I'm currently not a parent, but watching my other friends with kids, just how much drama and excitement and life can happen after marriage that mm. we don't really see on the page as often. So yeah, that's a little bit about my recently published work and I'm currently working on the sequel. So I'm Ooh. right back in that world right now. Nice. Uh, so one question I usually like to ask authors, because the answers differ wildly, but for you, how did you get into writing? I would say that I'm one of those authors that knew they wanted to be an author when they were a kid. I was always a big reader growing up. That was like the one thing that I asked for every Christmas was just the latest book in whichever series, like the Harry Potter series, Percy Jackson, things like that. And so I always had this idea of, yeah, I could do this. Not necessarily like 
I could do better, but there were some stories that came from reading these other books growing up. And I, I knew from an early age that being a full-time writer wasn't really possible for every author. And so I went into editing. Um, I studied English and editing uh, at a university level so that I would have some foot in the door as far as book publishing is concerned. So if I'm not writing my own books, I am editing someone else's and it's a great spot to be in. I really enjoy it. Do you remember what your like first story that you completed was? Um, actually, the first story that I completed was um, a YA epic fantasy story. And through a decade of rewriting and revising, I ended up publishing that as my debut novel, my debut duology. And so um, that was that was like just the longest project imaginable. A lot of people were really surprised that it actually turned out or that it was actually available to to read. But that was that was sort of the vessel of, um, you know, if I took a creative writing class, I was always applying what I learned to this manuscript. And so, um, but beyond that, I've uh, I've written outlines for other stories, and of course. Um, well, I shouldn't say of course, but I feel like a lot of authors might relate that um, there's probably a little treasure trove of fan fiction <laughs> on, on hand <laughs> of just, um, you know, using other people's characters to write stories until it's time to create your own characters. Right. I do that way too much to where if I'm watching like a TV show or a movie to where they're the characters are doing something that i don't like i immediately start writing like no no no, that's not what i know kylo ren from star wars would do and i do and i yeah. waste so much energy playing in other people's sandboxes so much <laughs> absolutely yeah that it's fun and it i definitely wouldn't knock it because there are some really talented fan fiction authors out there but yeah you do run that risk of yeah this character belongs to a very powerful company so yeah. <laughs> if i want to um maybe i'll write something adjacent and um i i will say that there are quite a few uh i would say romance novels and and fiction fantasy novels that are kind of based on fan fiction yeah. you can even see on the covers like i think this is a i think this is a raylo story but exactly, just different yeah. names tons of those <laughs> for sure well there was a period of time in publishing where um, the publishers, instead of, you know, looking through their slush pile, they were just going to like uh, AO3 and finding the most popular fan yeah. fiction out there. And they're like, hey, we're going to give you a small book deal and just see where this goes. And so, and you obviously see, like you said, on covers where it's just, oh no, this is, okay, they have laser swords in space and the guy on the cover looks exactly like Adam Driver. Of course, this is <laughs> a Raylo fan fiction for sure. Yeah. Or the character might be named Adam, right? Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's a little too on the nose. And, it's, uh, yeah. and, you know, the people love it. So that's what matters. They do. They do. Yeah, it, it's definitely a market for sure. Um, so when it comes to writing things like high fantasy, where you have these really unique worlds, what is your process for world building? Like, where do you start? And more importantly, when do you know you're finished with world building? Yeah, I I think you can get a little out of hand with world building, which is why uh, Wikipedia pages are so helpful with that. Um, just about any book that you can think of, there's a wiki page to keep all the details straight. But for me personally, it usually starts with 
one idea or maybe even one plot hole and it's just how can I get away with this <laughs> you know <laughs> um I guess for example uh with my with my recent book I I imagined that if I were to share this plot with someone else of like yeah what do you do if you come back and your husband the king has remarried someone else I feel like in most period dramas or like the way we think of um maybe like European uh kingdom structures it'd be like the woman would have no power it's just like glad you're not dead but goodbye right and that would mm-hmm. that would not make for much of a story for me and so i created a world where um she would have that sort of choice of what does she get to do with her life and then it's like well what kind of society would even allow for that to happen like uh, so easily or so readily where it wouldn't necessarily be the first choice is just, you know, throw her out of the kingdom or, you know, something far worse. If you're mm-hmm. maybe thinking like more along the lines of Game of Thrones. Right. Um, yeah. And so it started with. Yeah, it starts with a plot hole oftentimes. And then it's just, well, how would I explain this or like, what's the backdrop so that this kind of conversation is even possible? And um and then just starts, um, it's, it's a sort of like a spider web effect of just like, well, why would they, why would they believe this? Or like, um, what do they value the most? Um, you, with world building, it helps to have at least some sort of structure of just what do people want and what are they willing to do to get it? And mm-hmm. that can get you through most first drafts. And then with more drafts, and with more readers, you tend to get more questions. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of have to answer those like, well, I wasn't going to go into it, but here's the whole deity structure that I just made for this <laughs> kingdom that doesn't exist, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I would say that the moment that it stops is when you feel like I've given the reader enough information they need to make sense, again, of all those plot holes or that the story can wrap up in a satisfying way. Um, I know it's very common for authors to have uh, just documents or outlines of maybe like the kind of money that people use or um, the education system where it's like, okay, if it's not uh, super pertinent to the plot, it's not like you're going to have a character hop out and say like, I'm going to just lord up here real quick, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it's, it's that balance of what does the reader need versus what is too much. And if it is too much, then maybe it will live on in the sequel. And in mm-hmm. my case, the sequel is an opportunity for me to, um, add more to the world, kind of like add more to the edges it's kind of like a video game map where at first it starts off very cloudy and mysterious. And as you travel, you uncover parts of the map and you can get a bird's eye view of um, mm-hmm. the places you visited or experienced. So, yeah. Right. Uh, I like what you're talking about before um, when it comes to fantasy world societies to where because a lot of times um what authors will do as like a shorthand they'll kind of make it like what we imagine as a medieval setting the thing is they also then import medieval problems 
at the same time or like medieval structure yeah. and they don't and they kind of forget that it's a fantasy world you there are no rules you can change the way these societies function to how you want them to you don't have to import the bugs or problems from our actual real world past into this make-believe setting and so i think it's important to kind of remember no no you can give women agency in a fantasy world even though they're wearing big ball you know ballroom dresses or going to courts exactly. uh, in front of a throne and stuff like that that is sort of something that is easy to forget i feel like sometimes we think of what's already successful or popular and we emulate mm. that mm. but um during later revisions of my book, I realized I'm I'm putting my character, I'm still putting her in difficult situations. It's not like she has the red carpet just laid out for her. Everything is easy for her. But I've at least eliminated some other problems that I I feel like they are, they've been discussed so much or they're just kind of low-hanging fruit, if that makes sense, of just mm -hmm. like, how, how do we how do we create an, an, an interesting problem that uh, we don't really see very often on the page itself? Um, and also, yeah, I did want to create a world where I was like, uh, yeah, I would like to visit that place. I would actually like to walk yeah. the streets or, or visit for a time as opposed to something that's just um, leans into like a really like harsh reality of just, yeah, like it would really be awful to live there. Yeah, and not, it's not too many not tourists. Its problems. Say, <laughs> yeah, not too exactly. many tourists are going to Westeros, are they? <laughs> yeah, it's mm. uh it reminds me of that meme of just different people saying, like, oh, I'd love to visit Narnia or yeah. I'd love to visit the Wizarding Middle World. Earth. And then yeah. it's like the Hunger Game fans are like, I'm good. <laughs> I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to go there. It's fine. So yeah, that oh. it's um yeah, I, I feel like, uh, uh, to go back to my initial point, I feel like that there is still nuance and drama even in a place that can feel seemingly perfect. It's, again, because my, my characters are still human. Um, so they're, they're going to uh, run into problems even if um, the, the society is maybe more progressive than um, mm -hmm. other real-life places. Sure. So. And, you know, you do need conflict in any story in order for it to progress and also be good, I think. It's kind of more about what problems we create rather than have imported, for sure. I think another example in my book is that I wanted to create two different societies that weren't necessarily like one is clearly the better, uh, the better or more exciting place is just I wanted to create two places that had different values that mm. on their face, they are good values. They just clash with each other because they don't have the same priorities. And um, if you notice on the book cover, my character is a woman of color. And I uh, I remember reaching out to uh, to different kinds of readers, especially readers that um, uh, are from India or Pakistan, because that's the influence of my character and also the kingdom that she is from. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them were like, um, a lot of them uh, essentially warned me of the fact that like they experience a lot of colorism, a lot of racism mm -hmm. in the real world. And so they were wondering how I would address it in my world, the one that I created for my character. And so again, it's, um, I created a world where um, at least up until this point, 
either either kingdom are on equal footing. One has not enslaved the other. Because again, slavery and racism is something that permeates nonfiction and fiction alike. I wanted to, I wanted to show that there are other ways to have conflict besides colorism or besides like um, low hanging slurs or things like that. I also wanted people of color to read this and not feel like is, is, am I about to read something that makes me uncomfortable or just reminds me of my day-to-day experiences. Um, uh, It definitely sounds like I've, given myself a lot of work to do but this was like something that I felt really passionate about of just how do I give my characters some uh life and some drama and some character growth that isn't like well how do I convince this person to uh look beyond the color of my skin or beyond my gender it's like we have other fish to fry here Mm, so yeah and I hope that it's uh I hope that it's meaningful to my readers definitely So all of your books have a strong female leads in them, and I kind of want to talk about the evolution of this kind of character over the years, because I grew up in the 90s and early 2000s where a strong female lead had to reject femininity in order to be taken seriously, that they were, quote, better than other girls because uh, those girls like shopping and makeup, but that also then meant that they they had to then outperform their male leads. Then after that, it was kind of bounced back to where femininity was accepted and women could be deadly within the same story, but never at the same time. And she also couldn't be vulnerable. She couldn't be nervous or scared um, throughout the story. She always had to be confident in not just herself, but that her actions were the correct ones, no matter what. Um, This, you know, think this is around the time of Hunger Games was coming out and stuff like that. So, Uh, For you, in our ever-evolving society, what does a good, strong female lead look like? Yeah, um, I I just want to say that the the description you gave is like, what a tall order. (laughs) And it's, uh, (laughs) and and I'm sure um, you, you, you left this out, but also the the strong female character is usually someone who is either super strong or just super mm. like she's beautiful but she doesn't know it you know it's uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a they, lot of layers of to things rejecting yeah. uh and you know the the that she still has to define her success using traditional male traits such as being strong and not being aware of their own physical attractiveness and which is another weird trait that I think like, no, you can be, these are, these things are not mutually exclusive. Right. Right. Yeah. It's um, so to, to answer your question, I feel like the, the modern, I would say the modern strong female character is someone who is um, a bit more empathetic and a bit more of a team player because they are so um, they have a level of self-acceptance, you know, like on a mm. normal average day, they accept the um, the strengths and weaknesses that they have. They know that they're human and basically just give it their best, knowing that um, they don't have to be the strongest, the prettiest, the smartest person in the room anymore. Um, I've, I've seen that in real life and in uh, books as well of just being um there's actually a uh, a phrase that i've been seeing online who knows if it's still in vogue anymore but being for the girls 
meaning like rather than competing <laughs> with other women or just mm. other people, uh, maybe other marginalized people, it's looking for commonality, looking to empathize mm. and um, basically just seeing that we're not necessarily, we as women are not necessarily competing for male validation or, or mm. just male affection anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, while, while understanding that if a woman really wants to vie for a man's affection, it's like, you know, like we, that's okay too, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's more of an acceptance of different shades of women. And I feel like as we go on with more and more different types of women describing maybe their own experiences or using a character that reflects an experience they've had, we're going to see that a strong female character could be almost anyone as opposed to an archetype or Mm -hmm. a trope, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that kind of just makes just writing in general better if we have these wildly different and dynamic, like fully fledged characters where, uh, you know, they not only have flaws, but they have different motivations and relatable stakes and all these other things that when done properly create, you know, real people in our heads. And that just makes any kind of writing better, I think. Uh, so one of the things that uh, I mentioned in your little intro to the show here is that you are really passionate about that writing should be about community, not competition. And I want to talk about that for a little bit. Um, I think that in order to be a successful writer in the first place, you do need to have a like near crazy level of confidence to say yeah. that my stories are so good that I believe, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people are going to want to read them. And, and that's just to get your book out the door, essentially. Right. Um, however, yeah. I, yeah. However, I do also think that it's very easy for that mind to, to slide into that false dichotomy of, well, if someone else is getting really popular and I'm not, it means that something is wrong with the audience or that other author and I need to take them down a peg in order for me to succeed. We kind of just saw this uh, recently in the community uh, about that woman who created all those fake Goodreads accounts and then review bombed so many other authors, some of whom were like her own friends. Um, so they were also represented by the same publisher. So it was a knock against oh, her own publisher. Yeah. I didn't know that yeah. part. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my question is, um, you know, how do you think we as a community can try to combat this? Yeah. Um, well, if you're not in therapy, that might be helpful. <laughs> Just, <laughs> that is a good a, place a to start. Therapy to... is always encouraged. It's a good place to begin. But, you know, start with yourself for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean that sort of humorously, but also seriously, it, it, it may help just with the, um, just with the mindset that you have with your book. Um, I feel like it's, it's so easy to fall in the trap of if I'm not a bestseller, then why bother? We go into this like really far extreme where it's just like, I don't know if other creative people feel this way. Like, I don't know if other musicians are like, if I'm not number one on iTunes, then why play the guitar? Right. I'm sure that, well, I don't want to speak for them, but I'm sure that authors tend to put them themselves or even their books on a pedestal or put each other Mm. to these really high standards where in reality it's, um, and this is, 
this is a thing that I've seen traditionally published authors, hybrid authors, indie authors face. I don't, even if you have a team behind you, like this person that you talked about, um, you can still feel that jealousy of just, mm -hmm. why am I not where this person is? Or mm. why don't I have the Netflix deal? Or, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, or just, you know, there, there are all these different things. And so personally for me, I, it's almost like I have to, uh, um, well, journaling helps as a writer, writing helps. And so I will, I tend to journal just as honestly as possible. Just like, what do I actually want? Like kind of like interrogating myself, like, what do you actually want out of this? Like, is it really just, I have a story to share and I want to make it as accessible as possible. Do I want to make money? Um, do I want to have the book tour, the, mm -hmm. you know, the fancy special editions, which are really popular right now. Um, and just really answering those questions as honestly as possible. And then, um, letting those answers reflect in how I interact with other authors or how I, um, present my book to the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think there's a morally bad or wrong publishing goal. It's just uh, like I was talking with world building, like, what do you want and what are you willing to do to get to it? Yeah. Knowing that we are humans, we have a certain amount of time and money and even just knowledge of how to get there. And so um, a lot of times when I'm feeling sorry for myself, I just think, um, you know, for transparency, like I, I have another job um, outside of writing. And so I'm already dedicating time to that. I have a family that I'm dedicating time and love and energy to. And so it's um, really a matter of just acknowledging where I am right now. And if I want to spend more time on writing, then what would that look like? Would I need to scale mm -hmm. back on my work? Would I need to um, hire someone to help me with marketing, which is something that I've been really considering, especially with how marketing can just get out of hand, can just get oh, yeah. a little... If, if you already feel like you're doing enough, then there's always something more to do. Um, and so, um, again, to go back to my point, it's just, um, what do you really want? And what are you willing to go for it? And it doesn't really help you to knock down other people when they are, mm. they're going after their goals. And if they're willing to share, a lot of times they will say, you know, this is what I am doing to reach my goals. It's not just... Uh, the hand of publishing reached down and lifted me up and I do nothing <laughs> yeah. to promote my own work. Like traditionally published authors that we tend to emulate, um, they still they still do a lot of hard work and they mm -hmm. are also required to set up their own events or market their own books in many, uh, many cases. And so, um, yeah, we're all just doing our best out here. <laughs> and when yeah. I remind myself of that, then it's just... Um, their success doesn't diminish mine and my hard work isn't for nothing. It's not a all or nothing, yeah. uh, life. Otherwise this would be really hard to keep up for in, in <laughs> the long run. So yeah. <laughs> exactly. I like your point. Um, just because this is what I tell a lot of people, not even just in the world of writing. It's kind of, because it's kind of pertains to everything that you are not in competition with anyone other than yourself, right? That, that's what exactly. I try. I try my best to live by this to where, all right, am I a better writer than I was last year or even just yesterday? Especially when it comes to something creative, 
you're it's just you it's just are you better are you growing your skills are you learning more about the industry are you learning new marketing techniques and if the answer is no that's where you start you don't need to tear other people down yeah and we have noticed that if you do actually tear people down in a very public way uh readers do not like that they (laughs) readers are not as dumb as we think and i think readers really appreciate and admire authors that are of course dedicated to the craft of writing but they are just also good people of just Mm -hmm. they are um uh i i think there is a growing trend of just how to how to be ethical in how we interact with books um how we treat other authors um and really just make it so that the the hobby of reading doesn't have to feel like uh, a war zone, if that makes sense, yeah. or just a, yeah. a hunger game setting, speaking of which, just yeah. uh, every <laughs> every author, every reader for themselves, like we start to ruin the fun for ourselves. And <laughs> that can um, that can be detrimental. Um, I think we lose a lot of great talent when we do that. Yeah. Uh, okay, we're kind of running a little bit out of time here. Um, so Whitney, where can people find your stuff? Yeah. Uh, thank you again for chatting with me. This has been really awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. People can find me at witandtravesty.com. That's where I post about my books. That's where I update people on my publishing journey. And I also share a lot of my experiences as transparently and as research-based as possible. Um, you can also find my editing services there if you would like to work with me. Uh, and uh, I'm also online. I feel like Instagram is my second home right now. It's a great place to talk about fantasy and fiction books. And you can find me at Wit Toonie. Uh, all right, everyone, please, uh, as a reminder, go check out Whitney's new book, The Throwaway Queen, available on Amazon. Links are going to be in the description down below. Uh, as always, uh, Beyond the Manuscript is powered by Manuscripts, where you never write alone. I want to thank my guest, Whitney, one more time for coming out today. And yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your week. Bye.